HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with a little swag bag. First of all, mm-hmm. thank you for that, because I, I was trying to will that to happen as much <laughs> oh, as possible. Nice. Like, I didn't want to infer too much, but the ladies of Ovenly, Agatha Kalaga, and Aaron Patinkin, thank you yes, for being here. thank you. And you are here because here. of many reasons. Yes. I love what you do. And I'm loving this cookbook. <laughs> awesome. Wait, there are temporary tattoos. In oh, yeah. There are temporary, temporary tattoos, tattoos. That you're going to have to put on later. Okay. <laughs> I can just tell people we're on radio, so they're not going to be able to tell. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like one of my biggest aversions. So are you going to pretend? Yeah. Oh, I'm putting on this great tattoo right now. Thank you. Okay. Fantastic. But this cookbook is its a triumph because of many reasons. Um, you know, your business itself started in, what, 2009, conceptually. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Meeting at... A food-focused book club. Tell me about what you were reading and why you kind of stopped reading and started dreaming. Well, we were, both of us were in the book club for quite some time, but we never really went to the same meeting. And finally, we, I hosted one of the meetings at my house and Agatha did come and we were reading a book called Curry, A Tale of Cooks and Conquerors. That I never read. (laughs) I read the whole thing because I can never not I I have to finish a book from start to finish. I can never just put it down. And it was uh, about Indian cuisine and the history of Indian cuisine. It was actually very informative, but extraordinarily boring. No one one really liked the book. But Agatha (laughs) was inspired by the title and brought some pistachio cardamom cupcakes. And so that was kind of the recipe that sparked our conversation about food and baking and cooking together. And we still sell them today, actually. So you you had actually made those cupcakes it wasn't like yeah it was my favorite recipe to bake at that time and i felt like it was an appropriate 
uh, event to do it for. And even though I hadn't read the book, I was excited to go. And I had heard about all of these great women going and um, I showed up and... Wait, was that your only meeting you went to? I went to like one before, oh, but... I didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting started. I was yeah. just getting started. And yeah, like Aaron said, we um, had a fun meeting and didn't talk much about the book and talked a lot about food and... Um, there, the whole group of women was besides really besides Agatha and I, my, my college friend was also in the group and she, um, was a teacher and she had been in publishing and she had actually worked on some cookbooks, but most of the other people in the group in some way or another were professionally involved with food and, and we uh, were not, but it was really smart ladies, uh, you know, lawyers working on food and environmental issues, chefs, restaurateurs, uh, cookbook authors, food writers, um, and it was just a really smart group of ladies mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, conversations started being struck about starting a business. And, you know, I remember everyone was kind of talking about it and I was like, I, something happened. And I, I remember saying something like, well, I'm really surprised that there's not a business from this group of women. Everyone's so smart. And Agatha kind of stuck around and helped me clean up. And she, you know, came up to me and she was like, I've been really thinking about starting a business for a long time. We should talk. And I was like, great, me too. Let's go. <laughs> let's go meet for coffee. And a week later we met for coffee. And at that time, I had been doing a lot of baking on the side and wanting to do something. But I had a full-time career. I'd been working in psychiatry research for 10 years. And um, I just, it was my pastime. But I did want to do something with it. And I wasn't really sure what. And when I met Aaron, I was like, this is the one. This is the one yeah. that, that I want to do this with. Be- I, had, I had a friend, I had a couple friends that were really into baking, and none of them were, were as committed to the idea. They all, you know, talked about it and were excited about it. But once actually doing it came up, it, it sort of, they just t- took a step back. And when I brought it up with Aaron, and then we met a week, week later, and it was, that was it. We, like, ovenly started a week later. I, I like how you both praise each other's uh, Eastern European work ethic in the book. <laughs> but it's also that repertoire of baking that, well, that it was like really the, the immigrant work ethic. Yeah. 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 We're, yeah. Exactly. Family, we're both from families of immigrants. And I think that, you know, we saw, you know, for me, it was my grandparents. And for Agatha, it was her parents just, you know, inc- working their asses it, yeah. off. Yeah. Coming here with, you know, nothing and, and become, you know, and working their butts off until they were old to you know to provide for their families and leave something for the but family, still so. finding the time to bake yes, yes. and, and yeah. cook for their families oh, so yeah. mm-hmm. i mean what were those memories what were those recipes that have you know are of your legacy well for me um my father's parents lived in florida so i didn't see them as much but actually his mother ran all of the bakeries in and her family ran all the bakeries in Goldblatt's department stores in Chicago before she got married. And she actually was an amazing baker and used to send me, you know, brownies in the mail that were delicious. But my, my mother's mother was very involved in, you know, my upbringing and some of my earliest memories are baking with her. And, uh, really the Eastern European things that I love were what she called kolachki, which I, when I made them for Agatha, Agatha was like, this is not kolachki. But my grandmother was not Polish. She was from Serbia. But um, these little jam cookies that I actually looked up later that have a really long name that I can't <laughs> pronounce. And then um, kiffel, which is like a walnut roll and poppy seed roll. Um, a lot of nutty nut desserts and jam desserts. That was That was what we really had. It wasn't like chocolatey american no. stuff that 
that I grew up in. I mean, there was a lot of that too, but that's not the stuff that she really made. And I also, I grew up with pretty much the same things, but a lot of punchki, which we were just talking about, a lot of prune jam and things. Um, and I loved poppy seed. Everything was drenched in poppy, but it's not the poppy that you see today in desserts where it's sort of lightly sprinkled. It's like the, uh, dense poppy sort of jam where where it's cooked down um you actually boil it and um and it turns into a sort of paste and so there was a like uh poppy filled rolls as aaron mentioned and um and there was this one i i I don't know if it's specifically polish but there's this apple cake that i specifically loved that my grandmother made and my mother made as well and and it was one of the things that i loved making with them but um those were, I think, my fondest memories. And there were a lot of currants and things. My there's Currants are used in a lot of Polish desserts as well. And my grandmother had a garden full of them, so I was obsessed with currants. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love how you're kind of um, exalting certain re- uh, ingredients, like poppy, like yeah. prune, yeah. which we'll talk more in depth about. <laughs> you mean dried plums. <laughs> dried yeah. plums. Dried plums. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about how you were able to sell prune-based desserts. So Agatha and I just share a love of prunes i love prunes prunes and chocolate are is like one of my favorite combinations but um when we first started we were like well we have to make prune desserts and agatha made these ponchki which are filled with prune jam and they're amazing and we just we kind of from the get-go we were baking with fruits and spices like we that was always our thing or salt and sweet like that was from that's both what we liked and um so what? right when we started Ovenly, we were making all these scones, and we did everything baker's choice for our clients. We had no menu. So we'd be like, well, we don't know. You've got a scone today. We don't know what the flavor is going to be. And so one you of the- You have to guess what it is. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> one of the things we came up with that we loved was prune a prune coconut scone. Oh, no. prune no, Sorry, prune, prune ginger. ginger. It was a prune dried, <laughs> prune candy ginger scone. Yeah. And it wasn't selling. And so we just named, we just changed the name to Dried Plum Candy Ginger, and then people were like, oh, Everyone this is delicious. It. Like, our clients wrote us back, and they were like, this scone is so wonderful. They're just flying but off prune, the shelf. Prune's got a bad rap in the, the 80s thing. with all the prune juice. And yeah. Well, and it was citizens. related that was to it, That was a bad, bad marketing yeah. strategy. I mean, do you feel like a lot of your desserts are harkening from a different age, like or, or throwback, or at least referring to those styles of pastries? We like yeah. to... We like to do twists on traditional pastry. So a, a lot of what we do is classic, but with a twist. So it'll it'll be a chocolate chip cookie, but there'll be a little twist to it. We add the Malden or the um, Malden sea salt to it, and um, or sorry, rock salt to it, and then we do um, like our current rosemary scone, which is a traditional a, a traditional Scottish or British scone will have currants in it, and that rosemary just lends so much flavor to it and pairs re- really well with the currants. But we usually add a twist to more traditional things. So I think one of the things about our our, our pastries that is that they are classic, but they're modern at the same time. And so everything we do, we, I really think all of our flavor combinations are really approachable. You know, we get comments like, oh, that sounds weird. You know, olive oil and pumpkin in pumpkin bread. But, you know, it's... That's not that weird. It's, no, it, no. Well, yeah, but but people do think that's, yeah. like, that's something they've never heard of. And, you know, I think that we just... We're not doing things to be weird. You yeah. know, I think that's the thing. It's like we, we, we really enjoy playing with flavors and we'll test things out until they work and they're delicious. So it's not like we're throwing things together just for the sake of right. having, you know, a new and 
interesting and surprising flavor. We want everything that we do to be approachable, but we want it to be surprising. So you do come back, you know, we want people to try something and say, wow, that's a really, that's really different. I've never tried that before. And I want more, not like that's really different and really weird Yeah, because that happens too. And we, you know, we're, that's just not, that's not our, our goal. Already a runaway hit is the cheddar and mustard scone. Oh, yeah. I, I've been seeing it kind of proliferate yeah. about. I mean, what was the concept behind that? Well, well, we started. I, I think that I don't even know how we started. I know I we, do we know. so. Oh, it was <laughs> Anna, Anna Wolf. So it was started, my friend's mustard, right? Yeah. So yeah. our friend Anna Wolf started. Um, she's she had a mustard business and she was making whole grain beer mustard. And it was like and mustard caviar. It was, it was so good, so phenomenal, and we were obsessed with it. So she gave us these jars, and we just kept eating it and trying to figure out what to do with it. And I used to eat the stuff with a spoon. Uh, it was it was just it was so good, and so we were making. We, we were making a lot of scones, and as we still do today, and we decided to throw some mustard into the scone, into the cheddar scone, and we also were using dry mustard for something. I don't know what. I think we were just in, wanted to enhance the mustard flavor in the scone. I know, we, but we, we had what? dry mustard in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, we had a lot of weird some, stuff. We had kitchen. a lot of weird things in the kitchen, and so we ended up adding that, and it was, I mean, it's still one of my favorite scones today. It, you know, it has like a nice little kick to it, it's savory, and it's really, really delicious, and it looks pretty. Like, you could see the grains of mustard in it. But I also think that's that's a good representation of what we do. So when we were when we were first baking, we also, most of the stuff, when we say sweet and savory with a touch of spice, it was more verging on the sweeter end of things. And we really wanted to start offering some s- straight savory options. So we, we knew cheddar would be a great hit on scones, but uh, just adding the mustard was the twist for us. And you know, also approachable, not, you know, people know cheddar and mustard sounds good together in a scone that sounds interesting and new. And it turns out, you know, it's really an amazing and moist and delicious and flaky. Although I have to say when I, I had been experimenting and I threw some mustard in our molasses cookie and I told Erin about it, she was like, uh, no, that's going to be disgusting. (laughs) And it's actually really good, but people are afraid of it. People are like, oh, I don't know if I should try this. And then they really love it. It is really good. Goddamn God fear mongers. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I th- I forgot to talk for the past like five minutes because I think I've, I, I saw that rapport that you two must have as co-owners, co-founders of a business, which I think is a very important asset to have, you know, especially trying to, you know, run a business, operate it every day, expand, bounce ideas off each other. How, how do you guys work together? What is that rapport like? Well, you know, we started as business partners and not friends, and I think that Agatha and I share some qualities. One of one of them is, uh, you know, that we're very driven and motivated. So there was never a question as to the work that we were putting in or and what we were doing. But I also think that we're very reasonable people. So you know, we get we get in our arguments, but there's never been a time where we didn't find a common ground on a decision that we had to make and you know and, and and sometimes there there they that does that has resulted in some heated moments but we always have been working towards the same goal which is making ovenly a success so we never really i think both of us never really let our egos get in the way of what we're trying to do with the company yeah and ultimately we do like Aaron said, find a balance. And I think so much has to do with the fact that we do have a large staff now that is there to help us along the way. In the beginning, it was just us. And and I, and I think when we were first starting, I mean, it was just the two of us working 
our butts off. You know, it was just us. And there were days where we would go a full day without even like speaking two words to each other, just because we were working so hard. And there was never a question about that. There was never a question like, should we keep doing this? What the hell are we doing? This is crazy. And we just continued on. And now, I mean, I think that we're sort of blessed with the fact that it just continues to get easier, not harder. I mean, there's obviously harder business decisions and other challenges to face, but to me, it just seems like it's becoming easier and even more fun and exciting. Well, we'll take a quick break and come back and talk about what it's like to be a thousand dollar an hour employee and what tasks you know come from that, as well as ridding the world of bad bar snacks. All right. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. The following program is brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Agatha and Aaron of Ovenly. That's O-V-E-N dot L-Y. That's the website. The <laughs> company's the website. just yeah. Ovenly, yeah. O-V-E-N-L-Y. Yes. What, a, what a quirky website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> $1,000 an hour employee. Tell me what that means to you. Well, when we uh, we have business partners, and um, they're very, very supportive and amazing uh, businessmen. And one of them, you know, we were, as Agatha mentioned before the break, working, you know, constantly 20 hours a day, truly 18 to 20 hours a day some days. Um, and we were doing everything from washing the dishes to delivering the product to you know, quality control to baking and mixing. I mean, we truly did everything. And uh, we had a meeting with them one day and one of our partners said, you guys have got to stop doing the $10 an hour work 
because you're a thousand dollar an hour employee. And that's kind of been our mantra in the work that we do for the past year or so when we started to professionalize and hire staff. And, you know, it's, we're a small business, so we still do yeah. a lot of the ten dollars an hour do work. Sometimes. But you know, <laughs> but we're trying to move into you know. I think that there's a little bit of a, a rose rose colored glasses for people out there who want to start food companies. It's not just about it's it's all it is all about the food, but it's also all about the business. And so, if you really want to grow, you have to work towards that thousand dollar hour work. And for us, that's the business growth, business development recipe testing recipe combinations you know testing market the markets for uh different products and and that's what we're really trying to move towards with the company right now so yeah i think the way you you know not only developed your business but your recipes is there's a base and then there's a build off that base yeah, yeah that's yes. true let's let's talk about bar snacks because i remember first seeing you guys with you know spicy bacon caramel corn and maple thyme pecans in bars and at places like the Meat Hook, etc. Yeah. Um, was that the impetus? Was that the beginning? Did you think you were going to do that much more from cookies to muffins, the brownies, the cakes? When we first met, we didn't know what Ovenly was going to be. We we there were many renditions to what the business was going to be, and then we decided eventually on the idea of being a gourmet bar snack company. And um, we felt really good about it. And so we had, you know, developed some of these recipes and a friend of mine who we're all friends now, uh, Heather Millstone, she was opening up Veronica People's Club in Greenpoint and it was going to be a bar, but she was also going to have a cafe during the day and would be selling coffee. And so she said, all right, well, I'll sell your bar snacks. But she also knew that I love to bake and that we are doing a lot of food stuff on the side and baking. And she was like, but you have to make the pastries in the morning and some of them have to be gluten free. And at that time in our business, we were saying yes to everything and no to nothing. So we said yes. And Heather picked up our bar snacks and we also started making pastries. And that's when we first started doing the baker's choice pastries. And then another friend was opening up a cafe and we started selling the pastries there. And then by word of mouth, it just spread. And then uh, we started working with Brooklyn Brewery, who was our third client, and that was a major um, piece of our business at that time because we only had three clients, and the bar snacks took off. So at that point, we really felt committed to doing both. We didn't know where it was going to take us, um, and then eventually the pastries really just took off, and that's what people were demanding, and I think at that time, coffee was, you know, it was being elevated to to this really great thing in New York. And there were a lot of great roasters that were, you know, sort of coming up and um, a lot of great coffee shops that were opening up at that time. So I think it was just timing that uh, worked out for us. And more and more people started asking for our pastries. And then we just started delivering pastries everywhere. <laughs> well, let's talk about that Stumptown Shorty. Speaking yes. of collaborations. Oh, sure. yeah. uh, well, in terms of the Stumptown Shorty came about because when we first moved to Red Hook, our kitchen was in Red Hook for a year. Um, it was on the same block as Stumptown. And the first day that we were down there, we walked down and met Steve Kerbach, who's the head roaster. He's now out in Portland. And he like loaded us up with coffee. Lots and, of coffee. You know, I think like a 
Chemex and a tea kettle. Like he gave us yeah. everything that we needed to have to make coffee. And to and, give context there, Red Hook, it was a very lonely place at that yeah, point. When we were there, we had there. no friends. We were just baking well, in was, this whole, like industrial yeah. refrigerator. Yeah. It had no windows. <laughs> no, It was completely insulated, so it was freezing in the winter. Hot in the summer. Hot in the summer, and but, they were our only friends. <laughs> so, yeah, so we when we saw them, we started talking to them, and we became really good friends with all the guys that were working down there. And... Uh, so kind of just as an homage to them, we ma- started making this shortbread and we weren't even selling it. We we're like, let's make them yeah. a Stumptown shortbread. And we brought it down, I remember, to Steve one day. And he's like, have you talked to Stumptown about selling your stuff? And we were like, no. no. And he was like, I think, you should, I think you should do that. This is a really good cookie. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's smart. So that's kind of how that happened. It was more just a, as a, a thank you. Um, for I mean, they just kept us caffeinated for an entire year, and then we started making it for them. We don't wholesale that anymore, but you can get it at our shop. Yeah. So, I mean, talk about other collaborations, the Brooklyn Blackout Cake. You mentioned Brooklyn Brewery, and you use their stout in what is mm-hmm. you know, a very infamous cake of Brooklyn itself. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't even remember what... I think, you know, I think what happened is we read there was an article in Edible Brooklyn about the Brooklyn Blackout Cake. And then... Well, we were making salt the salted, salted pudding. Pudding buttercream already. And no, we were oh, making salted for, pudding. It was because of Steve's. Right. We were yeah. making salted pudding, which uh, it's the salted dark chocolate pudding that's bittersweet and salty and delicious. And, um, and we were making giant, giant vats of it for Steve's ice cream to add as an inclusion into their ice cream and uh, so we had a lot left over we started adding it to the buttercream and then we also were making the stout cake with uh salted caramel buttercream and then we just sort of combined the two flavors together and yeah it turned but, into a black but cake. steve's did ask us they were at the time doing a lot of collaborative flavors on their ice creams they were doing stuff with um salvatore ricotta and i think even six point and the flavor they wanted was a brooklyn blackout, blackout ice cream and we were like well if we're going to do that for an ice cream mm-hmm. we should turn we're the inclusions a into a cake Absolutely. Yeah. so that's how that kind of happened yeah. yeah and that cake has been a huge hit that and is we ship that it is, all over yeah. the country oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I remember my, my father grew up in brooklyn and it was ebinger's yeah or, yeah, yeah ebinger's bakery and they were at, everywhere and yeah you can still see a sign somewhere in sunset or borough park of one of the old park, factories right? yeah, yeah. But so, I, and a lot of a lot of bakers do a Brooklyn blackout cake, mm-hmm. and I think they're all different. And I think it's actually really fun that that has become so iconic that so many different artisans try to make their own version. So, I mean, let's talk about iconic. Your salty chocolate chip cookie. Did you foresee something as as simple as that kind of being the fountainhead of your business? No, we didn't. I, I mean, that's see any of this. Yeah, actually. I mean, we didn't see. We, we didn't have a business plan, so yeah. no, we didn't foresee the cookie. But you know, that is our all time. We sell more chocolate chip cookies than we do anything else. But you know, if you look at it from sort of a ma- you know a macro perspective, who doesn't like a chocolate, a chocolate chip, chip cookie? cookie. Everyone, it, everybody kids, wants a delicious adults. chocolate chip cookie. And the reason we started making that cookie specifically, you know, it's made with oil, not butter, was because it was simple. Yeah. And we were busy and a lot of the recipes that we created at the beginning of the company were stuff that we could do in one bowl or like two bowls. And we wouldn't even, we could do it by hand because we were just, that's all we were doing. It was by hand. Yeah. We wanted everything to be easy, few ingredients. And that kind of, that kind of has still philosophy has sort of driven us. But yeah, I, you know, I think it's the, the chocolate chip cookie. Who, like, if you find a good chocolate chip cookie, you'll eat. I could eat a chocolate chip cookie every day of my life. We pretty much do eat a chocolate yeah, chip cookie true. every day, and they're great for ice cream sandwiches, and they're great 
I don't know, for breakfast, lunch, dinner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we eat I love, them a lot. I love it. <laughs> well, I had two questions. How do you reutilize certain things in, mm. in your business? Yeah, that's a good and question. What do you snack on the most? So that kind of answered both of it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right there. Well, we we do reutilize a lot, like. Stuff that we burn, stuff that is, gets mixed incorrectly, we well, try to make it into something else. There's a sure. bread pudding recipe in our cookbook that um, our one of our old bakers, Laura, she had come up with because she had uh, screwed up a giant batch of muffins, and we had this muffin batter that we didn't know what to do with, and she was like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this better. And then we had bread pudding for a couple of days and it was the most incredible bread pudding. So we, we definitely try to reutilize it and, and do fun things with it. And it usually works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time it yeah, does. Yeah. I mean, that's the boring back end stuff you have to think of as a business owner, Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, from profits and margins, et cetera. Right. Waste. So where does Ovenly go from here? I know it's situated at this beautiful little corner of, you know, of, of Greenpoint Ave and West street, the you know, East river ferries there buildings are going up. What do you want to be in five years? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, so we are currently, uh, we have sort of two sides of our business and we are working on both. One is that wholesale side. We um, deliver 365 days a year to, right now to over 95 different cafes and restaurants and gourmet grocery stores. And that's the side of the business that we want to continue to scale Um and then we also and have trying our, to figuring that out. That's a whole other. It's 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 that's really, a new. It's a new. It's almost a new business to try is. to figure out on a on a large scale. But but it is really two separate businesses because we do have the wholesale and you know it's grown so much. And then we have the retail side of it. We have obviously the cafe that you mentioned, and then we are planning on opening up another one to two locations in the next year. And and we do hope to do more and. Yeah. potentially open up on the West Coast. We'd love to partner with other companies, continue to partner with other companies as well. And Aaron and I are already brainstorming about a new cookbook. It's true. I think the big thing, too, with the retail aspect of it, I, and, and even with the wholesale aspect, one of the things that we're also committed to is quality. And we've seen a lot of different companies scale and kind of lose this particular quality. So one of the things that we're trying to figure out right now is how to maintain uh, our these pastries that we think are perfect um, on a large scale. And that's not, that is something that we refuse to sort yeah. of compromise. We're on. very obsessive about yeah. quality and quality control. Yeah. So speaking of having that control, what isn't on the menu that you hope to have on the menu in the next few years? Uh, and let's talk about the menu maker and explain what that is and <laughs> oh, sure. what's found within it. Um, the menu maker was a box that was filled. Uh, that's it, there's a bit about this in the cookbook. Uh, filled with recipes that were my grandmother's, and it's actually a, those two questions go hand in hand. What do we see on the menu in five years in the menu maker? Because um, this cookbook was really an opportunity for Agatha and I to start thinking back on the recipes that we loved growing up, like we talked about. And I have this box, and it's imprinted with the words menu maker, and in that box are all the recipes that my grandma either tried or made all the time from, you know, pineapple cheesecake, which was super 50s, <laughs> to the walnut kiffle. And I Including think, a recipe that's like chicken for chi 200. Chicken <laughs> no, chicken alakine for 500. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. There's a re literally, that's the name of it. But I think that one of the things that Agatha and I are really interested in exploring is the roots of that Eastern European tradition that we come from, because... It, I mean, we were talking before the show, it's hard to find 
bakeries that are really doing it the way that it used to be done. You know, it's, it's that same thing with scale, like really high quality, high quality ingredients. And we want to start exploring that a little more and going back to those roots and really kind of playing more with that tradition, I think. So I think that as in the next few years, you're going to see um, more of that Eastern European influence on our product. And I think it's very much related to what we're doing now, which is back to sort of simple ingredients and simple recipes, but playing on tradition in some way. And I, we really feel connected to our history, our family history. And I think that that is a part of what drives our recipes, but also our business. So I think it'll be really interesting to sort of reconnect with all of that. And, you know, one of the things that we say is our Eastern European determination is what attracted us to each other in the first place. And as business partners, I think that that is a really interesting thing. And that is what drives our business and um, hopefully our future recipes that we'll be offering. And we're not bread makers, so we don't really do any yeasted pastries. We don't do viennoiserie like croissants or anything. So, But what we are going to also explore a little bit more are what we can do savory. Savory. Um, besides... Yeah the scones and some muffins that we do. So we're going to be exploring that as well. Mm-hmm. The new old world. Yeah, yeah the new exactly. old world. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if you haven't stopped by Ovenly, certainly see Agatha and Aaron there. Pick up their cookbook today. And you said 95, 100 plus cafes carry your About product. 95, yeah. Yeah, yep. just, just keep on asking for it. Keep on spreading it across yeah, the country. Tell <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being on. Thank and you. Even Thank more you so, so much. For bringing delicious cookies. Yes, you're welcome. And tattoos. And tattoos, <laughs> which I've applied all over my face right now. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.